I encourage you to take out your Bible and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 as we uh, read a real short summary of Abraham's life as we this week conclude um, the study of who Abraham was and this man of faith and what we can take from his character. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is our scripture reading beginning with verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11 beginning with verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, but by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, thank you, and as good as dead, was, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. And if they'd been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they'd gone out they, they, and they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he prepared for them a city. And then verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering, offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did, not, he did receive him back. And may God add his blessing as we read his word this morning. Let's bow for prayer as we commit this message and time to the Lord. Father in heaven, we just pray today that as we unpack your word, that God, you would uh, help us to focus in on the word. Not so much what I have to say, but the unfolding of the word today is enough for us to learn so much about how you work and how you lay out your will for our lives. And we pray today that you will help us to have open hearts, help us to receive what you have for us. The great thing about your word is, Lord, that as we uh, send it out and it goes forth that it will not return void but it challenges each of us in unique and special ways because of the circumstances of our life and so lord we just uh, pray that you help us to have listening hearts we pray and ask now in jesus name amen well there's a story about a golfer and uh he came to the first hole and it's unusual because this golf course had a par three for the first hole and uh, as he began to walk up to the tee, he looked out and he saw that the green was surrounded by water. It was just an island out to itself and there was a little bridge for the golf cart to go out. So he's trying to decide, do I use a brand new ball or do I get one of my old balls out of the bag? And so he finally decided to put an old ball on the tee. He wasn't as confident he was going to make it. And he walked up and all of a sudden he heard a voice from heaven say, put a new ball on the tee put a new ball on the tee. So confidently he walked over and switched balls and put it on the tee and, and he walked up to get ready to hit it and the voice from heaven said, take a practice swing. 
So he stepped back and he took a confident practice swing. As he approached the ball, the voice from heaven said, get your old ball, get your old ball. <laughs> the question is, are we listening to what God has to say to us in our lives? Martin Luther King said this in one of his sermons. He said, I still believe that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. This is the end of life. The end of life is not to be happy. The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. The end of life is to do the will of God come what may. The end of life is to do the will of God come what may. Just to review where we were and where we've been with Abraham over these many weeks, going all the way back to November. We talked about the call of God upon him by faith, how he left Ur of Chaldees, how he left the very idolatrous, polytheistic lifestyle, called of God to go and to seek a land, as we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, a land that he would never see in his lifetime. He had compassion with his nephew Lot when they needed to part ways because they were both so successful in business that um, they need to move on and have more space for their livestock and pasture land. We see the contract. God brought three promises to him for uh, him to fulfill, not in his lifetime, but to get the ball rolling uh, and to make that commitment to God that he would be a father of many nations. He would have his own land and those who blessed Israel would be blessed and those who cursed Israel would be cursed. Then he had a time of confusion in his faith where um, he lied about Sarah being his wife and, of course, compromised her in the situation. And then God clarified the promise once again in that very unique way where the animals were split and God went between them with a, a burning torch to make this commitment unconditionally that he was going to be this father of a great nation. And then his commitment to faith, as we looked at last week, how he, was, how he had to lay his son the promised one on the altar and willing to sacrifice him, trusting that God would resurrect him or do something in his behalf. We're going to see how God worked to answer Abraham's desire to have Isaac marry a godly woman in order to perpetuate the promise of God for the future of Israel. So first thing on your outline today is that Abraham pledged to find Isaac a godly wife. Abraham pledged to find Isaac a godly wife. Now, Sarah had passed away, and Isaac and Abraham are grieving. We see later on in this chapter, especially Isaac, he's really missing his mom. Isaac's now 40 years old, and Abraham is 140. And Abraham is coming to the end of his life, and he's getting his affairs in order. He wants to make sure that Isaac is going to fulfill and carry out the promise by marrying a godly woman. So we're going to look at a lot of scripture today and let the scripture speak in many ways without a lot of commentary. So turn over to Genesis chapter 24, if you would. Genesis chapter 24. As we read this really insightful story, and I'm, I'm so glad God put it in there, much like the story of Job. And um, Job 1 and 2 gives us the background to what it was all about for his suffering. Here we see another way that God is sovereignly working and gives us a picture of how he works behind the scenes to fulfill his will. So Genesis chapter 24, look at verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, 
And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Verse 8. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. And so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Now Abraham, as we said, wants a wife for Isaac, but not just any wife. He wants him to have a godly wife and one who is uh, born of his people, of his relatives. And so he wants to send Eliezer 450 miles one way to find a wife for Isaac that's not among the Canaanites who worship idolatrous gods and God told them not to intermarry with them. He reiterates the covenant God has given to him and seals the deal with a hand under the thigh. And what is that all about? Well, this is a solemn oath that if Eliezer doesn't carry out what his master has asked him to do, it's a sign he's committed to doing that. But if he doesn't, the family, the relatives can come back and avenge the servant's unfaithfulness because he did not keep the contract. So Abraham is very specific here and very serious as signified by the oath that he and Eliezer engage in. George W. Truett, who is a former pastor at First Baptist Church Dallas, said this, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge, but to do the will of God is the greatest achievement. If you and I were faithful to live holy lives, to read and obey what God's word says, not only will he lead us, but the Bible says he will provide for us good success and prosperity. God's definition of success and blessing in our lives. And one of the verses I memorized early when I first became a Christian was Joshua 1.8. A great verse of promise where Joshua speaking to, or God speaking to Joshua as he takes over the nation of Israel and about to go into the promised land. It says in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Success is found in being faithful to do what God puts before us on a daily basis. As we read his word, when I get up in the morning and I read the word, I don't read it just to read it. I say, God, what do you have to speak to me about today? What is it that I can take away as an application for me to live out today to be obedient to your word? And when we do that, he provides peace. He provides joy no matter the circumstances. He provides direction in our life. And always remember that character and truth will prevail in the end. The reward for being obedient and following God will be when we stand before the judgment seat of God 
and we receive rewards for our works, but most importantly, we'll hear that affirmation from Jesus about a life that was well-lived for him. Remember this, the will of God never goes contrary to his word or his Holy Spirit. Remember that, the will of God never goes contrary to his word or the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit always backs up the word of God. I remember a story about a pastor I recently heard about, and he was meeting with a gentleman, and he was frustrated because he was seeking God to get an answer to a prayer about a very important decision in his life. And the pastor asked him if he had any areas of unconfessed sin in his life, and he revealed that he was living with his girlfriend. So the pastor pulls out 1 Thessalonians 4.3 and says, this is the will of God concerning you, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Until you obey the things that God has put before you, he's oftentimes not going to reveal the bigger things or the decisions that are down the road because he wants to know that we're faithful to his word. So our application here is that we have a God who's faithful to keep all of his promises. Some of the promises in God's word are unconditional. Some of them we have to come to God on his terms, but he will fulfill them. In Genesis 24, 7, it says, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give you this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So we see the power of prayer as Eliezer seeks God for guidance. Second of all, in your outline, Eliezer prayed for God's guidance. When we have big decisions or small decisions or um, things that are before us in a day, obviously reading the word and uh, getting uh, alone with God, but praying, praying for guidance. Eliezer knew the Lord through Abraham, it appears. And Eliezer was Abraham's chief servant. If you remember in Genesis 15 too, that Abraham was planning to leave his inheritance to Eliezer because he did not have a son at the time to leave it to. But Eliezer, after speaking to Abraham here and promising with an oath, prays to God for guidance. Look at Genesis 24, verses 10 through 13. Then the servant Eliezer took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. So he heads over 400 miles to the northwest corner of Mesopotamia to a town, Nahor, and Notice this discourse that Eliezer receives a precise answer to his prayer. He was looking for a woman who had a servant spirit. He rewards that person, Rebecca, as it's revealed with jewelry. And he asked Rebecca for a place to stay and a place to care for his animals. And she responded with a place to stay and plenty of food and drink for his animals. Look at Genesis chapter 24, verse 14. Let the young woman, as he continued to pray, to whom I shall say, please, let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. 
By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they finish drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. Verse 21, the man, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels. And he said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Verse 27 is so important. It's the key phrase to this entire chapter. In the King James, it says, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. You and I, we have to be moving. We have to be obeying. And the more we obey and the more we do the things that God has for us, he's going to reveal more and more and more. I look at uh, the way he does, he reveals his will. as kind of like a scroll that he unveils one section at a time for our lives. And, and so as we go through life, we're being led, I being in the way, the Lord led me. And I hope you can say that in your life. I hope you can look back and see how you being in the way of doing what God wants has revealed things to you along the way. Well, Eliezer, he goes to Rebecca's home. In Genesis 24, 28, then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. And then we see Laban. We'll hear more about Laban when we talk about Jacob's life. Laban is Rebekah's brother and the apparent spokesman for the family. Bethuel is the father, mentioned later in verse 50. Look at Genesis 24, 29. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And Laban said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Verse 33, then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I've said what I have to say. And he said, speak on. And Eliezer recounts of God's faithful leading to that opportunity, that encounter to meet Rebekah. In verses 27 and 48, he recounts this process. And Rebekah responded as he prayed. He knew that Rebekah was the one for Isaac due to God's leading. But he leaves the decision of 
being God's will up to Laban and Rebekah's father, Bethuel. In verse 49, he says, Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master Abraham, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. He said, hey, if you don't agree with me, this, isn't, this is God's will. Let me know now so I can be on my way and continue searching for the one that God wants to lead me to. From Eliezer, we can learn a few things about prayer and seeking God's will. As Christians, obviously, we need to pray. We need to pray and ask God. Now, sure, God knows ahead of time the plans for our lives, but he wants us to pray in relationship to him and to build trust with him and then pray specifically. Notice in this section of scripture how specific Eliezer was about how God was going to reveal the right woman for Isaac. I think of Gideon. How did he pray? He prayed one night that the fleece would be wet and the ground would be dry. And the next night he prayed the reverse, right? Until God revealed to him that this was his will for Gideon. He prayed specifically, but he prayed specifically also for guidance. Give me wisdom and direction and understanding in this process. And so we need to pray specifically that God would fill each of us with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Our application here is that we have a God who knows what we need before we ask him. And so we find great confidence in that and knowing that he wants to reveal his will to us. He wants to let us know where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do if we're open and we're listening to what he has to say. We pause here in the story to shine a brief light on Rebecca, who's soon to be Isaac's wife, to view her character. So we see thirdly here, Rebecca is a prototype of a godly woman. She's a prototype. She's an example. Like the Proverbs 31 woman. Here's some characteristics we see in these verses. First of all, she was chaste. She was a virgin. It says in verse 16 of Genesis 24, the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden who no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Second of all, she had a servant spirit, a servant-like attitude. Look at verses 18 and 19 of Genesis 24. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. She was there to serve and take care of the needs. And then we see, thirdly, just like that, hospitable. She had a spirit of hospitality. Verses 24 and 25, she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. She wanted to not just take care of his immediate needs, but also give him a place of lodging and take care of not only him, but his men and the, and the animals as well. And then we see she was modest in verse 65 of Genesis 24. As uh, they were coming back, Eliezer and Rebekah, and they see Isaac out in the field. This is the response. And she said to the servant Eliezer, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it's my master, Isaac. So she took her veil and covered herself. She did that because in that culture at that time, they were told to veil themselves, the woman, until their wedding day. And then we see a sign of submission in verse 58. 
when it all came down to a time to leave. And we'll see in a moment, the family wanted to uh, have some time before she left. They said, we'll leave it up to Rebecca. And they called Rebecca and said to her in verse 58, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. She was open to the leading of God for her life, to go, to leave her family, and to be married to Isaac. So notice, she was out serving by getting water for the family, most likely at the request of her father, Bethuel. She was not doing her own thing, but looking out for strangers by offering them a drink. We see her modesty as a sign of submission. She took her veil and covered herself when she went to see Isaac. And Isaac was attracted to her, and she did the right things in obedience to God and those in authority over her as a teenage girl at the time. So the application is this. We have a God who speaks clearly to those who seek him. Think about how clear the answer to Eliezer's prayer was and how it just flowed from that when he met Rebecca and how it all went in the story. Well, let's see how Laban, Bethel, Rebecca, and Eliezer come to agreement on God's will for Rebecca. The last point here, we hear the next last point is that Laban's perception of God's leading. Laban's perception of God's leading. So in this chapter, Eliezer recounts the story verbatim, as we read earlier. And Laban, as we said, is a spokesman. He was the one to invite Eliezer to the house and discuss with him Abraham's request. But notice Laban and Bethuel's response in verse 50, and these aren't on the screen, but if you have your Bible open to Genesis 24, Laban and Bethuel answered Eliezer, this is from the Lord, after he recounted the story. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah, take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. Verse 52, when Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. And when they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. Verse 55, but her brother Laban and her mother replied, let the girl remain with us 10 days or so, then you may go. But Eliezer said to them, do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go to my master. And then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servants and his men. Well, in the Jewish culture of the day, the oldest brother was the negotiator of the marriage contract. And Laban and Rebekah's father, Bethuel, saw that this was of the Lord. And Eliezer, representing Abraham, gave a dowry to Laban in payment for Rebekah's hand of marriage for Isaac. Notice how God leads as Rebekah is willing to go in verse 58, as we said a moment ago. And out of obedience to God's leading, Laban submits to Eliezer's request and provides Rebekah with her nurse, someone to go along with her and to care for her needs. And we read later on in Genesis 35, her name is Deborah. So what's the application? We have a God who brings agreement among his people when his will is recognized. Notice that all the parties, when they heard the story, when they saw how this all unfolded, they knew that this was God's will. 
that they needed to be a part of it and joyfully be a part of it because Rebecca would ultimately be blessed as a member of their family as she went and married Isaac. We have a God who brings agreement among his people when his will is recognized. This story is so unique in Genesis, but fits well with all of us as believers today and learning how God works behind the scenes on behalf of those who are living living for him by faith. Notice the conclusion of the story. It shows that the choice of Isaac's bride was from God. The sign to Eliezer confirmed it. Laban and Bethuel recognized it, and Rebekah submitted to God's will. Isn't that a great story? we can see in our lives and how God works behind the scenes in his sovereign will to engineer the circumstances, to answer our prayers, to do it his way in his time. The last thing we see as we wrap up the life of Abraham here is that Abraham reaches the pinnacle of his commission in life and faith. Last week we talked about how he reached the highest levels of understanding what it was to have trust and faith in God when he was willing to lay Isaac on the altar, willing to sacrifice him, trusting God that he had a plan that he didn't know anything about. And now we see as, as uh, his life winds down and he's trying to make sure his son has a godly wife and God's putting all things in order, he reaches the climax just before he passes on. We see two marriages. We see the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. And We won't read these verses, but verses 60 through 67, it says that uh, the family, before Eliezer and Rebekah and the men left, rose up and blessed her, pronounced a blessing upon her as she went. As they traveled back, you see Isaac was out in the field and he was meditating at night, probably just before sunset at the end of a work day. And off in the distance, he saw Eliezer and the men and Rebekah. And of course, Rebecca, as we said, asks if that's Isaac and puts the veil on her face and she comes off the animal. And then as she goes, then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, verse 67, his mother, and took Rebecca, and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. God took care of the grieving in his life. God answered a prayer for Abraham and Isaac to bring a godly wife. Notice the blessing that Laban and Bethuel bestowed upon Rebekah. In verse 60, they talk about the offspring would be numerous, which would fit with the promise to Abraham. The offspring would possess the gates of their enemies. In other words, be victorious over their enemies. This was perhaps echoing the promise of possessing the land of Canaan that God had promised Abraham. Rebecca veiled herself as a sign that she was about to become Isaac's bride. Isaac established his acceptance of Rebecca to be his wife before beholding her beauty. It says in verse 67, he loved her after they became husband and wife. And Isaac was comforted from the grief of losing Sarah, his mother. The word love there, and early in the chapter, talks about steadfast love as that word we see oftentimes in the Psalms, has said. God's loyal love or covenant worked through the circumstances of those who live by faith. God's plan with Abraham and his preparing for the future, Eliezer and executing the plan, God and taking care of his part of the process, and Rebekah and responding to God's will. And the other marriage we see here is Abraham and Keturah. 
in Genesis 25, and we'll just mention that. But Abraham went on to get married and have more children. But then we see two marriages, but one funeral. We see the end of Abraham's life in Genesis 25, verse 5. It says that Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. He lived to be 175 years of age. And he was buried next to his wife, Sarah, in the cave that he purchased earlier. You know, God has an intended purpose for each and every one of us. He knows the number of our days. And he knows uh, what he has planned for us. And when we come to the end of that time, his next plan is to graduate us, to go to heaven. In Acts 13, 36, it says, For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. At the end of our life, that God will lay us down. He will take us to our eternal rest and on to our reward in heaven. And that's all part of his will for our lives going forward. So our application here is that we have a God who brings everything about in our lives for his intended purpose, even the last day of our lives here on this earth. So how will you live your life going forward? How are you seeking God's will for your life on a daily basis? The key thought that we need to hold on to as we think of this story is that where God guides us, he always provides for us. As Eliezer made that 450-mile journey one way, along the way he prayed a long time because he had a long journey to go. And just at the right moment, two people intersected that God had prepared, him and Rebecca, and the amazing story that transpired from there. So I was thinking this past week about my life and how, you know, when I got saved at, at age 14, and I look back and I can see the different ways that God has led in big ways and small through my life to even get me to where I am today. But as we get older, we should think about the number of our days. And I did some calculations. The Bible says he promises for most people to live to about 70. Now, I know the life expectancy for men, I think, is about 77. And for women, it's a little bit older than that on average in our country. But think about it. If you're age 20 and you're going to live to age 70, you have 18,250 more days of your life. If you're age 30, you have 10,950 more days until you hit 70. When you get to 50, it gets down to 7,300 days. Age 60 to 70, you have 3,650. And when you get to 65, it's 1,825. And as we get older, you think about how am I going to use those days? How am I going to use them to carry out God's will in our lives? And so I think and leave you with that thought. God has the number of our days. And of course, none of us are guaranteed to make it to 70. And then I like what Daniel's pastor in Virginia, he would often say he was in his 70s and he was a tall guy and he played basketball and he was a basketball coach. He'd often end his sermons by saying that he was in the last quarter, the last two minutes of his life, and the score was tied. And he's praying for double overtime in his life. And so we can do that. We can trust God that he will know the number of our days and let us have quality of life and carry out his intended purpose for our lives. Here's some questions to ponder this week as we go out. How do you go about finding God's will in your life for daily decisions, big or small? How do you go about finding those? What do you do? 
Second of all, what are you asking God to reveal to you this week? I've got some things on my prayer list that I'm hoping God will reveal. And maybe it won't be this week. Maybe it'll be in a month or two. But what are you asking God to reveal to you this week? And how is seeing God leading you in your life giving you great confidence in the circumstances you're currently are living with? No matter what we're in, we can look back. We can look at the, the mile markers, the memorials, as the Old Testament talks about. The memorial stones that remind us of how God has provided and led us in the past. That gives us great confidence that going forward, no matter what we face, God is walking ahead of us. And where he guides us, he will always provide for us. Let's bow for prayer. As we come here today at the end of the message, I just encourage you to think about how God's working in your life, how he's leading. And maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you've been praying for years for God to answer a prayer. Just think about the story of Abraham and Isaac, that as they walked up to the mountain and to offer the sacrifice, that at the same moment God was bringing the ram to be caught in a thicket at just the right moment. You think of this story and how it took a time to unfold. But God was working in the circumstances and the timing of everything. As we pray today, may it give us great hope that no matter what we are facing, God is working, God is sovereign. God will answer in his time, in his perfect way, in his perfect love for us because he ultimately cares for the very best for our lives. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for how you lead and work in our lives. I'm sure that many of us could come up to a microphone and share how they've had experiences where they knew, they just knew that God was leading them. And then he affirmed that decision that they made by what occurred after. Lord, we just thank you for the great God that you are. We thank you that you put real life stories in your word so that we could connect with them, that we could understand, that we could see how you work in such a personal way in the details of our life. Fill us with hope and encouragement today, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.